Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So I understand uh, you partook in a little college basketball tonight as we do the podcast. Well, yes, I did. My alma mater, Penn State, was playing your alma mater, Maryland, and I made up for the fact that I forgot to bet you on the football game, which I obviously would have won that bet quite easily. Uh, and you didn't bet me on this, and Penn State won quite easily against the number four team in the country. I was going to say Maryland was ranked quite highly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to hear that they were not victorious. It, you, you talking about Maryland basketball does remind me when I was in college, though, when uh, the big thing when the Terps were in the ACC, of course, was beating Duke. And mm. I remember that we beat Duke once. Um, this was, I, I was there before Maryland won their national championship and stuff. But they beat Duke once, and I remember in my dorm, somebody celebrated by lighting a couch on fire in the elevator, which I thought was a modulated and uh, very completely understandable response to beating Duke. Yeah, in college, you could just do those things because there was no consequence. Like, you would just go home next semester and your mom would take you back to Target and you'd buy a new one. Yeah, and it wasn't, isn't that the thing? Like, even in college, like, I I remember, like, going to the dining hall, right? And you're playing with, like, funny Monopoly money. It's not even, like, real. It's just, like, money that's there. And so at night, you're just like, hey, who wants to buy a pizza from the dining hall? And then you just buy it. With my lion's cash. Yeah, or my, my, Oh, what was it called? oh, I think it was called Red Express was the name oh, of it gosh. at Maryland. Anyways, we're talking about fun, whimsical things now before we talk about horrible things, because this, after all, is a podcast about hockey and everything <laughs> in hockey sucks right now. Anyways, uh, coming up on the show, uh, a beacon of light amongst all this dire stuff in the NHL. Uh, Amanda Kessel will join us to talk about the USA Canada game coming up and women's hockey in general and all the things that are in Amanda Kessel's world. Uh, and then we also have puck headlines and stuff, but we're going to take a deep dive on Jim Montgomery and the Board of Governors stuff this week as well. Uh, it's ESPN on Ice, so let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And Greg, where do we begin? Well, let's begin in Dallas, shall we? Uh, so the second day of the Board of Governors meetings in lovely Pebble Beach was going on on Tuesday. Uh, I was driving there. And in my car, I discovered uh, a torrent of emails that had been sent from our news desk to tell me that Jim Montgomery had been fired. This was odd to me because the Dallas Stars are in a playoff seed. Jim Montgomery had a few years left on his contract. It was a game day. And the Stars were a scant few weeks away from playing in the Cotton Bowl against the National Predators in the Winter Classic. So I said to myself, well, that's strange. And then I've come to find out that it's not one of those getting fired for performance things, Emily. It's one of those getting fired for a material violation of your oath as a coach kind of things or what have you. Yeah. And you mentioned the timing. Obviously, it happened the morning after Gary Bettman implements this four-point plan and promises sanctions pretty much against teams that don't report uh, their coaches doing bad things. And we all assume this has something to do with coaching abuse. We'll get into all that stuff with Bettman later. 
but it doesn't. This is a personal matter. And Jim Nill, in a way that was very apparent to me that he had been coached by his legal team and HR representatives about an hour before he went up on stage, gave absolutely zero details. Um, he said there is no criminal investigation pending against Montgomery. He says it has nothing to do with employees of the team. We'll see kind of what comes of that later. But uh, he's shocked the players because when the three players who did speak spoke, and that was Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, and Klingberg, um, they all said they were surprised and, and they couldn't believe it because Monty's such a good guy. So um, this definitely sent ripples. And one of the guys that seemed most surprised of all was Rick Bonus, who now becomes the head coach. And <laughs> gosh, Charlie, he was a beacon of light we needed on this day because he was just a simple man saying he's just a little nervous to get out there right behind the bench. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, he, he was great, uh, in a, 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 an unbelievably tough situation, kind of coming out and saying, you know, this is what we do. We're professionals. We just press on. Uh, uh, he found out about this whole thing Tuesday morning, apparently, and, uh, and was thrust into it. And Nil did a very interesting thing, which is to say that Rick Bonus, uh, who has previous head coaching experience in the NHL, is going to be the interim coach the rest of the way. Uh, a la, Can I interject there? Uh, yeah, please. You don't buy it? No, I do buy it. I wonder if he was persuaded into that because the conversation we've been having now, and I've heard this from folks inside the NHL in the last two weeks in light of all this coaching stuff, is the vetting process for hiring a new head coach is going to be like unlike we've ever seen before. Oh, yeah. People, And so, you know, you know bonus. You put him behind the bench, and then you get the offseason to do your due diligence. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. And, but I also think that... Look, the St. Louis Blues have poisoned the well for everybody, which is that everybody is delusional into thinking that the interim coach that they hire can easily lead their team to the promised land or what have <laughs> you. Uh, but bonus is, you know, bonus is a guy that definitely has, you know, earned his bones, so to speak, in this league, uh, and, uh, and isn't necessarily the worst caretaker for this team going forward. Um, that said, what a just absolute earthquake in, in Texas. Um, you know, the, the stars started off really poorly. Uh, they rounded into form. They were in the first wild card, uh, the morning that Montgomery was fired. It was clear that they had figured out some things about themselves, uh, under his watch. And, uh, and then lo and behold, because of some personal indiscretions, uh, that whole thing gets upended. Um, I don't know what the future holds for the stars this year. It looked like they were very much on track under one coach and, and does the rest of this coaching staff have the uh, wherewithal to continue in the direction that they were headed. Yeah. Two reporting notes. One, I've reached out to Dallas Police Department. So far, no police reports have come up or complaints. Uh, so we know that. Um, and two, I tweeted out a video. Um, it was audio of Spotify. Oh, boy. And it was uh, what I what appears to be Jim Montgomery's last radio appearance in Dallas. And it's a station called The Ticket. And I understand they do some shows in jest. And this was clearly a bit. But as someone who listens to a lot of interviews with coaches, coaches' radios, interviews, coaches' press conferences, this struck me as unusual. This is a coach in a manner I've never heard speaking before. Um just listen for yourself. The questions were highly inappropriate. And the fact that Montgomery played along, I thought was highly inappropriate in some of the topics they mentioned. And it just struck me as really strange behavior. I'll put it that way. It, it was, uh, to put it lightly, the kind of interview that you would get from somebody at a tailgate, I think is the best way that I could possibly put it. 
um, it was it was it was definitely cringy. Again, when I, at Board of Governors, there's a ton of rumor and innuendo floating around about this situation. By the time you listen to this podcast, maybe something concrete comes out about it. We don't know anything concrete at this point as we do the pod, um, except to say that it is unrelated to everything else that is going on in the NHL coaching community, which is kind of stunning. Yeah. And just to build off the point you made uh, before I went on that little tangent, um, where do the stars go from here? It's a big question. Like, there's been a lot of turnover for this franchise the last couple of years. You think of Jamie Benn. Now he's on his sixth coach in his time with the Stars. Tyler Sagan is now on his fourth coach with his time with the Stars. He's trained in the 2013-14 season. And you heard Tyler, like, after he signed his contract, his big extension last summer, he said multiple times, I hope that Jim Montgomery is my last coach because it does take a lot of transitioning and adjustment. Like, last year, a really big storyline for the Stars was how long it was taking them to adjust to uh, Jim Montgomery's style because it was so different than what they had before. So I do feel for this group, but I wonder, you know, maybe there's so many coaching turnovers and, and the team can't find success that maybe the answer could be higher up and we need to be looking there and maybe turnover in the management level uh, to turn things around for this franchise. Here's an interesting little nugget about the Dallas Stars in this situation. Let's you know, Do you know what starts happening pretty soon uh, for the Stars? Nope. Uh, that would be the filming of their behind the scenes documentary on no. the road to the Winter Classic. Yes. They, they are, they are a Winter Classic team. The road to the Winter Classic is still very much a thing the NHL does. And so there will be cameras rolling on the Dallas Stars. I don't know if they already are or not. I, I remember somebody mentioning that they were scheduled to start pretty soon. Uh, wow. but they will be behind the scenes to capture all of the transitional fun of going from one coach that was fired in disgrace to his assistant coach taking over on an interim basis. Pretty interesting times. Greg, I'm sure they just start of the advanced scouts. That's what everyone wants to get for us. That's the good footage. And then they'll get to the team later. So <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Dramatic, dramatic uh, shots of walking and all that stuff. And then they get to the, uh, the good stuff later on. But, uh, Jim Montgomery situation, uh, obviously unfolding as we do the show. Uh, this week, um, but uh, but another shocking blow to the coaching community, uh, which we'll get into after we talk to Amanda Kessel about the USA Canada rivalry. Now joining us on the line is Team USA star forward Amanda Kessel. And Amanda, your rivalry series against Canada kicks off with a game this cupping weekend in Hartford, Connecticut. And I just want to know what's your pitch for why fans should pay attention to this. It's can't miss hockey um i mean it's a sporting event that you can't miss but no greater sport than hockey and um for us every time that we play canada it's playoff hockey for us it's a really great entertaining action to watch so when the Four Nations Cup was canceled uh, earlier this fall you actually had a joint training camp with canada and pittsburgh and i am dying to know how did that go I don't know if, if the word joint was used, but um, we had separate practices, and then we ended up playing them for two games. But it was really cool to be in Pittsburgh's facilities. They're a great host. It was you know, treated um, like a pro for the week, and it was just really great to you know have those practices with each other and then competition against Canada. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because I was curious of like what it would be like <laughs> sharing locker rooms and getting a drills together. Yeah, I mean, we were interested, too. 
Yeah. And I know, though, like, can you explain to our listeners? Because I know you guys are so competitive on the ice when you play each other. It's one of the fiercest rivalries in sports. But my understanding is a lot of you have close relationships off the ice, and you are pretty good friends. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say it's like half of the team maybe knows like other people on the on Canada and is friendly. Um, I actually don't, I'm not really close with anybody at this point, but one of my brothers, Blake, he married a, a Canadian that used to be on their national team. So I used to, <laughs> used to battle against her. And you guys have had a new coaching staff now uh, since the Olympics. Tell me a little bit about um, them and, and what different styles they've implemented uh, for you guys and, and how you might look different than the last time a lot of fans watched you in the Olympics. Yeah, it's awesome. We have a really unique staff right now. They kind of all come from somewhat different backgrounds. Um, and Some NHL experience, some NHL playing experience, college experience. Uh, our assistant coach, coach, Joel Johnson, I worked with him at Minnesota. We have a really great blend, but um, yeah, our style, I think that's something right now that we're developing as a team. We want to play fast and, and manage the puck, I would say. And you're not playing in a professional league this year. I, I, and I You're still living in New York, right? Yes. So yep, I just want to know, right, could you walk um, our listeners through what your training is like when you're not centralized with Team USA, how you get ice, who you train with? Is it a lot self-sufficient? Yeah, it is. Um, it can be a grind. Um, sometimes I, I think about it as I'm doing it. So a typical day for me, I'll wake up. I usually either I'll have PT or I'll have workout in the morning. And then um, I have to walk to get my car, which is like, 20 minutes away, so I'll walk to my car. Living in New York I, life. Yeah. Then I sit um, in traffic for like 45 to an hour. There's two different rinks in New Jersey that I skate out of. One's like a mini rink, and the other is um, Barnabas, the Devil's Practice Arena. And most days I'm, I'm training on my own. Um, I'll hire a skills coach some of the days, and then other days I'll sometimes play in like staff skates and kind of wherever I can get my conditioning in and then drive home walk my 20 minutes home and I'm usually like home around 6 p.m. so it's typical work day. I know this is probably impossible but if you could estimate out of pocket how much money you've had to spend just to keep yourself as a high level professional you know level athlete what do you think it is a year? Wow. Yeah, I'd have no idea. Um, it's thousands of dollars. Um, I mean, I would say somewhere between five to ten grand. I don't really have a, a yeah. great estimate on that. Which is about your salary that you got at the NWHL, correct? <laughs> yeah, playing professionally. Yep. Now that we're a couple minutes in now, um, and, you know, the dust has settled a little bit of so many players sitting out from the league, how confident are you that next year there could be that viable professional league that you guys are all fighting for? At this point, I'm really not sure. Um, it's something that we're continually talking about and hoping that uh, something can come together, but really we want it to be 
done um, the right way, right from the beginning. Don't just want to kind of have a league thrown together and try and piece it together along the way. You want it to really be a strong league from the beginning. How active have you been behind the scenes and in meeting with folks and um, being part of that leadership group? As active as I can, um, I'm always you know, available for talks, and I've I've been to some meetings. It's something that, as a national team, it's really important to us because one someday we're going to end up leaving the game, and um, we want to leave it in a better spot than we came into it. And that's something that's super important to us, and we know how what a grind it is on a daily basis for us to keep up our game and it's just unfortunate that that's the situation we're in right now. Now, it doesn't feel like super long ago in 2017 uh, when the team was fighting against USA Hockey for a new contract and more equitable conditions, but a significant amount of time has passed. And I'm curious, have you seen improvements in the way you guys are treated and marketed by U.S. Hockey? Yeah, I definitely think that there are improvements and there was a lot of acknowledgement that things needed um, to be better, and it definitely has helped us. It's just going through it all, it feels evident how much farther we have to go, but mm-hmm. it's really a great start, and our lines of communication between players and the staff within USA Hockey is so much better after working through all of that. I met with the Lamro twins, and one of the things they explained to me was that maternity benefits were offered for the first time in that deal, um, which was really interesting to me. Is there any other things that you feel like you guys have now that maybe you didn't have before? Um, it's mostly just somewhat of a salary, being able to like train how we want to. Um, before, it was very... It's very, very difficult to train full-time. Everybody pretty much had to have a, some kind of part-time job on the side because you just couldn't even afford to live and living very scarcely. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've been working with the New York Rangers as an ambassador, specifically with their junior hockey programs. Tell me a little bit about the stuff you're doing with them. Yeah, that's been a really awesome opportunity for me and just what they're doing as a program. I think they're at the forefront. We started a a women's um, league for young girls, actually. From age 11 to 14, there's two 10-week seasons for them. So there was a bunch of try hockey for free events, trying to get girls into the sport that wouldn't have had access before and couldn't afford it. At those events, there's like free equipment provided, and just gives girls a start. And then having this league allows them to continue playing. So it was really, really cool. Like a few weeks ago, I went to a lot of the girls' first game ever. And they're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, and this is their first hockey game. And, you know, I got a letter um, from one of the girls saying she couldn't afford to ever play hockey before. And this is just like a dream come true to her. And it was it was really touching to be there and see how excited these girls were to play in a hockey game, even if they were just learning to skate. That's awesome. For you, you know, at this point in your career, 
Have you set some personal goals either, you know, maybe I want to make one more Olympics or two more Olympics or I want to play till um, X age? Yeah, I think the biggest goal right now um, would be to play in another Olympics and then help start a professional league that continues until I'm, you know, a mother hopefully someday. And I'm looking at the roster uh, for this USA Rivalry Series, and it's a lot of familiar names, but there are some younger players who I feel like have kind of jumped onto the scene lately, like Caleb Barnes, maybe Danny Camarisi can never pronounce her name. Is there any uh, younger players that you think that fans should look out for and will totally be household names uh, by the next Olympic cycle? Yeah, there's some really young talent. Right now, um, these we have four days of tryouts. There's 46 of us, and then they'll be cutting us down to 23. And wow. just our player pool keeps getting deeper and deeper, and there's a lot of young talent coming up. Like you said, Danny Cameron is a younger player that always stands out. Kayla Barnes is a stud defenseman, and Megan Keller, another stud defenseman. Okay, this is the last thing for you. Amanda, I don't know if you know this, but your voice actually appears on this podcast every week. Uh, we have a segment we call it Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs, and it's the segment where we talk about the stupidest media story of the week, and it's an ode, obviously, to that silly story about your brother, and we incorporate your voice that says he doesn't actually love hot dogs. So, firstly, I congratulations. Interview. I can't either. I, I think it was something on social media I saw, uh, Twitter. <laughs> maybe the oh. Penguins did it? Yeah, maybe it was. Yeah. I remember saying that, but I don't know where. It's <laughs> Do you know what's funny is that I talked to his coach, Rich Tockett, and that was, like, one of the first things he wanted to mention to me. He's like, you know he doesn't even like hot dogs. I was like, okay. <laughs> Noted. But um, I have to ask, you know, with your brother, there's so many um, – it seems like legends people want to make about him. He doesn't really love talking to the media, so people kind of create their own stories. Um, what's something people might not know about him off the ice, though, that is true? Um, I think just that he's – really a down-to-earth guy. He doesn't obviously like the attention and and really want to be in the media, but as a friend, he'll do, and brother, he'll do anything for anyone that needs it. Can you think of an example of some time he went above and beyond for you? I just think of him as like a softie. A, um, just a small, like, little story. I remember, I can't even remember where we were, but it was me and my brothers and my cousins and we were just like going across the street and run across the sidewalk and he like just put his arm out like when people were trying to run because it was like a green light or whatever it was but he always just seems to be like the protector i love it all right amanda thank you so much uh where can fans follow you on social media and how can they watch the rivalry series games you can follow me at Amanda Kessel twenty eight on Instagram and Twitter, and the rivalry series um, playing obviously at the XL Center on Saturday. But follow along with USA Hockey on Instagram and Twitter. Cool. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Amanda Kessel for joining us on ESPN and Ice. A favorite, as you mentioned, Emily, a, a weekly. Uh, uh, focus of this podcast because she does appear in the Full Cast Loves Hot Dog Sounder. 
Boy, I love telling her that, but I really didn't love her reaction because she sounded really creeped out and it's really questioning our choices right now. <laughs> uh, speaking of questioning their choices, the NHL coaches community uh, was in focus at the Board of Governors meeting, uh, a two-day meeting in Pebble Beach. The first day, of course, a lot of news was made about the NHL's reaction to the re- resignation of Bill Peters from the Calgary Flames to the administrative leave uh from the uh, from Mark Crawford with the Blackhawks, and of course the abuse allegations that came Mike Babcock's way after he was fired in Toronto, and the uh, end result, Emily, is a four point plan for fixing everything from the National Hockey League. I so you were on the scene, and so I kind of want to treat this as me asking you questions of please. What the heck? Gary Bettman comes out, and everyone's expecting there to be a code of conduct, right? The NHL is the only of the four professional major leagues that doesn't have a code of conduct. It seems like the logical response to all of this, and he starts mm-hmm. telling you guys about a hotline. What is everyone kind of <laughs> thinking and saying? Yes. Um, maybe noted uh, hockey fan Drake can uh, man the hotline at some point. The hotline bling, if you will. The um, Then maybe players would actually call because I have a lot of doubts <laughs> that they will. Um, okay, so code of conduct. The first issue there is that it is universally, universally acknowledged in the NHL right now that Bill Peters and racism, very easy call. Bill, Peter, Bill Peters and uh, kicking players, uh, Mark Crawford allegedly kicking players and choking players, bad. Easy call. Verbal abuse of players, mind games played by coaches to motivate guys. As Brendan Shanahan himself mentioned uh, on Tuesday, there is a lot of gray area and no one is knows for sure where to draw the lines as far as what it should be allowed and what shouldn't. Um, and in some cases, you have situations where a coach says something that one guy sees as the perfect motivation to make him a better player or a better person, and another guy sees as abject abuse. Uh, so it becomes yeah. kind of unclear where to draw those lines, and I think that's why the NHL and Gary Bettman didn't walk into that meeting looking to create a specific code of conduct. But what Gary Bettman did walk into that meeting expecting to do was to come out with a four-point plan. Uh, there is no debate in Gary world. There is merely discussion of what Gary is going to do. And so we walk out with the four points. So point one, Emily, is that uh, any team, there will be a zero-tolerance policy for teams that do not report uh, these incidences with coaches' abuse to the NHL. And by that, we mean actually physically call either Bettman or Bill Daly to tell them what's up. Personally, I see this as uh, the let's not get caught with our pants down amendment. I really don't know what the NHL will do if somebody calls them to tell them that there is an incident because the NHL famously is, for lack of a better term, a states' rights league. It is a, hey, teams, handle your stuff so we don't have to. We'll put out a strongly worded statement about it, but ultimately it will be your decision on what to do with this person. I found some kind of irony in Gary Bettman visualizing for all of us and painting the future that he wants for the NHL and saying, we're going to know everything and, and we need control of everything. And then what's the update on Mark Crawford? Well, the Blackhawks are handling it. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, it just felt like some really weird juxtaposition. Right. Uh, point two of the four-point plan was that uh, coaches who 
do uh, dabble in the dark arts of abuse will be uh, punished severely by the NHL, according to Bettman. Uh, this obviously after the team investigations uh, go through. Bettman did say and made some news by saying it that didn't really get a lot of play, that there still is an investigation going on into both Bill Peters and the Carolina Hurricanes former GM Ron Francis and former owner Peter Carmanos to figure out what exactly happened there. I loved his subtle shout out too. By the way, Tom Dundon, awesome. Did nothing wrong. None of this happened under Dundon. Yeah, it was weird because Dundon, Dundon, Dundon was not at the Board of Governors meeting, um, which I thought was huh. interesting. Maybe he had a conflict, but uh, but Bettman was very specific to say that this was the old regime that did it. Um, but yeah, still looking into the Ron Francis situation. I spoke with Todd Lewicki, the president of the Seattle team, where Francis is now the general manager. Lewicki obviously standing by as general manager and then didn't offer really any other comments beyond that. Um, I think uh, he's been lawyered and HR'd up right sure, now because it's sure. Sunday. And, uh, and Francis put out his statement through the NHL too, which was an interesting move if you remember that. So that was point two. Coaches who abuse their players will be handled uh, swiftly and severely by the National Hockey League. But hopefully they won't abuse their players thanks to point, th- point three of our plan, Emily, which is the educational component the nhl will have an annual educational seminar of some sort for any coach assistant coach general manager assistant general manager whatever if you're under nhl contract and you're in a position of power you're going to be required to take this training to teach you more about diversity and inclusiveness uh, in order to make sure that you are acting appropriately uh, to to everyone that you are in charge of managing. And then on top of that, Kim Davis, the NHL's Executive Vice President for Diversity, I don't really know the full title, but that's basically the gist of it, uh, will be putting together, together a special council to uh, study these, pro- these programs, to study these issues, and to uh, recommend things going forward as well. So when we hear about the training program, I have two thoughts. One, I can think of every NHL coach that I know or GM just rolling their eyes and saying, like, really, we have to sit through that? And two, I, I think of, I hope that it's actually beneficial and it's an in-person, and I understand they're kind of pawning this out to a third party, so which is probably good because I'm not sure anyone at the NHL is qualified, quite frankly, to run this. But um is it going to be like the trainings that we have to take at ESPN, Disney Online Learning, those Things that we have to take every three months. And obviously, Greg, you and I study immensely and it's soaked quite into our ethos and, and the way we operate. But I, I can't say that's something I look forward to doing or something I'm highly engaged in. It's going to go one of three ways. It's either an online learning course, which might be the way it goes because these guys are all spread out across the country. It'll it'll be a thing where they actually have to go to a room and then watch some sort of like several video presentations with a a, a, a seminar facilitator. Like when we went to – we both got hired and had to go to orientation. Oh, I'm sorry, watch Greg. Them videos. It's rookie camp. Did you pay oh, sorry, any attention? I, I apologize. <laughs> Orientation must have been when I got hired at Burger King in high school. Uh, or it's going to be something that it probably should be, which is to actually have human beings affected by abuse and, and racial, uh, uh, you know, slurs and, and homophobic slurs, have them stand in front of these guys and let them know exactly why it shouldn't happen. Like, that'd be the most effective thing. And maybe that's the way they go. But most likely it'll be for the next 60 minutes, you're going to watch this video on your computer and answer some very easy trivia questions about what you just watched. Probably that's the way it goes. Point four of the Bettman plan, the hotline, the aforementioned hotline by Emily Kaplan. So 
the hotline, uh, or or again, they hedged on it. We're be- we've been calling it a hotline. Maybe it's going to be a thing where you can you know send in something through a, a prompt on your computer. I don't know what, but, but for all intents and purposes, it's a whistleblower hotline. Um, it is going to be a place for players currently in the league, ex-players, trainers, uh, support staff, anybody that witnesses or experiences abusive behavior by a team official will be able to go to the hotline, report it anonymously, or put their name to it if they want to, and then the NHL will investigate the claims against individuals uh, that are that are uh, accused of abuse. What was your reaction, Emily, when you heard about the hotline? You know, I think all of this combined, to quote the great hockey movie, a slap shot, they got the spirit of the thing, right? They understood <laughs> the essence of why people were so upset, why people were so disturbed, why people were so disappointed in the league. Um, and when it comes to the hotline, they understand that players don't want to come forward themselves. In fact, many of them haven't. But they also kind of missed, I think, a point where a lot of these accusations we're getting aren't exactly direct. Um, you know, the ones against Mark Crawford, as you pointed out on Outside the Lines today, like one was Brent Sopel and he backtracked on it. He was telling a story and then he was just like, oh, I was only telling that story to be entertaining. Like, I didn't actually think it affected me. Like Patrick O'Sullivan is, okay, um, I'm tweeting this, but I've already put it in my book. Like I kind of tried to let people know and now I just have to go to you directly. Akima Lou, you know, kind of tweeting the backhand thing. All this is to say, like, and and the Johan Franson stuff only came up because Chris Chelios brought it up. All this is saying guys just aren't comfortable coming out themselves and saying it. And I fear that on a current team, players look at the situation and say, okay, you're going to grant me um, anonymity. I can never say that word. God damn it. Anonymity. I have the same problem with the word phenom- phenomenon. Oh, really? Phenomenon. I'll trade you phenomenon. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I they okay, they're granting me um, anonymity. You guys can all make fun of me later. Um, but then it's clearly going to come back to me. Like this, like everyone in the room saw what happened. They're going to know it's me, and the coach is going to know it's me in a third party way. And like, who's going to want to do that? I just, I just find a lot of and- flaws. That's the issue. I, I asked Bettman straight up, like, is there going to be some whistleblower protection component to this thing? Because if you remember the Akeem Alou situation, um, after he went to his team and, and went to the Blackhawks organization with the, the racial slur stuff with Peters, Peters d- did or attempted to get him demoted to the ECHL, okay. like from the AHL. Right. There's some thing fuzziness that has never come up by the way where Akimalu initially said that there was that letter to Bowman and McDonough and we've never yeah. heard of that letter again well that's because the Blackhawks denied it but anyways so the point being is that there is even if it's not getting demoted it is you know a lack of playing a reduction, time yeah reduction of ice time it's it's uh you know a different role in the team it's getting bag skated you know more than other guys like there's any number of ways a coach can take retribution on a player that he knows snitched on him and I asked Bettman, I'm like, is there whistleblower protection in this, on this, on this hotline business? And he said, well, the, the protection is the anonymity. I'm like, but no, that's not the protection. The protection is the league saying, if you try to take retribution against a player that levies an accusation against the coach, then you're going to get severe punishment for it. Like, that's whistleblower protection. Now, keep in mind. I think the issue is it's so hard to prove that. Cause like you said, it's so nuanced. It, it can be. It is very nuanced. Second to third line but, demotion. But it you can put be it out there. Verbal intimidation. But right. You, but you put it out there so as a deterrent. 
you you say, listen, we know that there's the possibility of this. Let it be known if you do it, there's going to be an issue. Now, I, I, I'll, have, I'll plead ignorance here. They may, there may be some things in federal labor law that already protect NHL players that do this. That's a possibility. But for the league, if you're going to do a hotline and say, hey, players that currently don't want to go to the PA or the NHL with these things and are dropping accusations on Twitter because they know that these uh, organizations are completely ineffective when it comes to policing the, the players and, and, and abuse. Hey, guys, you know, drop your knowledge on this hotline and we'll take care of you. It's a real easy thing to do. Um, but they didn't do it. And I don't understand why. Um, so there's there's the four point plan, like you said, an A for effort. We'll see how the execution works, but the very least, an acknowledgement that all of the stuff that's been going on needed to be addressed. Correct, and honestly, you know, I saw you said you you asked about women's hockey, and Gary said they didn't talk about it at all. Like, I'm glad they tabled yeah. everything for now. Like, this is what these meetings should be about: is attacking the urgent issues at the league right now. One more thing on this before we get to other segments. Um, Brendan Shanahan spoke for the first time on Tuesday yeah. since. So Shanahan spoke the day Babcock got fired. If you remember, he actually flew to Arizona and had a, a little press uh, soiree with Kyle Dubas. Um, but he hasn't spoken since then. And since then, we've had the Babcock made Mitch Marner list all of his teammates based on how much effort they give and then gave that list to the guys who finished last. We had Johan Franzen uh, confirming the uh, verbal abuse of Mike Babcock to the point where he had a nervous breakdown on the bench, was afraid to come to the arena uh, every day because of how horrible uh, Babcock was to him. And the news out of the Shanahan stuff today was, one, he stands with Franzen, says, I, I believe him. I believe that those were his experiences with Babcock. And two said, you know, came forth and said, hey, look, what Babcock did with Marner, it was reported to our GM, which was then reported to me. It was completely inappropriate. But when asked what you'd say to a team that comes to you and says, hey, Brendan Shanahan, president of the Maple Leafs, I'm thinking about hiring your ex-coach. What would you say about that? He said, I don't want to deal in hypotheticals. So I thought it was very because <laughs> he knows no one's calling him. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's true. Maybe I don't know, but like he, no one's calling him for so, practice. So that was a real interesting one, and it was also interesting to hear Shanahan be pretty candid about the fact that, like, hey, listen, when we were playing, there were things done to us, and he didn't say we didn't know at the time they were bad. He said that it was it wasn't in sort of the culture to come forward with these things, which I thought was a very interesting answer uh, and, and and kind of the opposite of what you hear from a lot of guys that are old school that are looking at this stuff and saying, well, you know, it used to be okay to kick a guy in the back on the bench. It was Shanahan basically saying, hey, we a lot of us kind of knew this was wrong and it just wasn't part of the deal to come forward with these accusations back then, but maybe it is now. Yeah. Is that just to illustrate how Shanahan is really an old school guy, like, the fact he doesn't speak to the media that often anymore, like there's a little inside baseball, but he feels like he was burned after those comments he made, made during Nylander's holdout where it's like, me and my teammates always took less and we never regret it. Like such an old school mentality. Yeah. And because of that, that's why we don't see him very yeah. much. Honestly, Shanahan has a thankless job. He's in there just to, he's the guy who has to fire people. He's the George yeah. Clooney and um, what was that movie with Anna Kendrick that was so good? Uh, up, up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he has to go fly around and 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 fire people. Yeah, it's got a little element of that job. in him. 
All right, now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the segment every week where we take a look at the hockey media, the foibles of the hockey media, the hyperbole of the hockey media, and the mistakes that are made. Uh, I always screw up Brett's last name. I'm going to say it's Brett... uh, Sir Gallus. Mm, I think it's anonymity. New York Post. I know Brett. I like Brett. Uh, but Brett wrote a piece that deserves Phil Kesselhoff's hot dog status this past week. Headline of the article, Devil's P.K. Subban is marketing everything except his own game. Now, here's the thing about P.K. Subban, folks. He's been horrible this season. Really bad. As we pointed out on the video we did for the Power Rankings this week, uh, coming into the game against Dallas, P.K. Subban was on, on, on track for a 14-point season. 14 points is what Nikita Zaitsev put up last year. 14 points is what Calvin Dahan put up last year. Uh, so a horrible season for P.K., but Brett kind of takes PK to task for doing promotional work while the Devils are horrible. Quote, It is amazing that he has time to practice and play games with all the time he spends posting on social media. They must let him keep his phone on the bench. Quote, On Wednesday, a day after John Hines was fired following uh, efforts in a 4 nothing loss to the Rangers at home and a 7-1 thumping up in Buffalo. Subban was at Bryant Park doing an, an appearance for Red Bull. The press release said he was the, two, uh, the, 20, the 2103 James Norris Memorial Trophy winner, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. On Thursday night, he was at the Adidas flagship store in Manhattan. What a great way to get ready for a big back-to-back under your new coach. Now, I'll admit that P.K. Subban could probably post less to Instagram. Uh, yeah, when the team is this bad. But I will say this, though, in his defense. Do you know how long uh, a Red Bull event in Bryant Park has been planned? Do you know how long uh, an appearance at the Adidas store has probably been planned? When these things are set up with PK's marketing firm, okay, they don't know the devils are going to be horrible. They don't know they're going to be a tire fire. Okay, so it's not a situation where, you know, PK Subban comes limping home after the devils lose 7-1 to to Buffalo and he's like... Oh, what could I take? What could take my mind off things? Oh, I know. I'll call Adidas and see if I can do an in-store. No, these things are set up way beforehand. It's not his fault. The Devils are horrible, and it's bad optics. The irony I see here is like this is just such a tired thing. Like we heard in Montreal, we're like, oh, it's a Canadian market; it'll be fine in Nashville. We saw in Nashville, and we're like, oh, it'll be fine. That's just like a southern market. Wait till he gets to the New York media; it'll be fine. And we're still getting these takes that are just. That's all I got. Mind-blowing. Now it's time for uh, puck headlines. Dateline World Cup. Gary Bettman says no World Cup in February 2021 as the NHL does not have time to set this thing up. So for the second time, the World Cup gets bumped because of the ongoing CBA talks with the players. Word is that the NHL and the NHLPA are targeting either 2024, I'm sorry, are targeting 2024 and 2028 for the next events of the World Cup of Hockey, which means, Emily, quite interestingly, that they are not targeting either September 2022 or February 2022, mayhaps because the Olympics are in that neighborhood. I wonder if, you know, that's something that's still being negotiated upon upon the NHL and NHLPA. The NHLPA is like, all right, you can go announce this, but like, just don't say anything about 2022. We shall see. I, I, 
I'm still very skeptical about them going to Beijing uh, because the IOC need, need to get their act together, and I have no faith in the single most corrupt and horrible organization on the planet for sports that they can get their act together. Um, but we shall see. Uh, obviously, China is a much more attractive destination for the Olympics than the previous one for the NHL. Dateline, uh, Alex Ovechkin. Ovi tells her own Linda Cohn what will happen if he breaks Wayne Gretzky's record for goals. Quote, you're probably never going to see me on the ice again. Yeah, right away. See ya, he says of his instant retirement if he breaks Wayne Gretzky's goals record. First of all, I don't believe him. I think Ovechkin's probably going to play until he's 50, but that would be the single... Of a, for a man who came into the league as the biggest rock star we had ever seen, especially in comparison to Sidney Crosby, nothing could be more rock star than just dropping the mic and walking away after you break Gretzky's Yeah, record. especially if it's mid-period. Like, <laughs> that's my first thought. Is like, okay, what if he scores those four minutes into the second and, you know, the hats go on the ice, whatever happens, they stop it, they get the puck, and then he's like, bye, and just goes to the bench. Goes to the locker room. That would room. be amazing. Oh, it would be the best. Uh, Dateline, New England. The Patriots are yet again embroiled in another potential cheating scandal involving filming the opposing sideline. Many of you believe maybe they are, they're, they're in the clear on this one. Others will remember the original reporting on Spygate that said that one of the things they told their videographers was, just tell the security guards you're doing a documentary. What a coincidence that that's how it played out this time. But the question here, Emily, is which NHL team would you be least surprised to see embroiled in a Patriots-level cheating scandal? You know, I put some thought into this, and I realized that there's only one answer for me, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because have you seen how many people they employ? They have so many employees. There's just too many people who work for them. What do they all do? Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Um, that's a very good answer. I would probably go with, uh, I'll, you know, I'm going to go off the board a little mm, bit here. Let's hear it. I'm going to say the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> like they need the edge. One, one, because John Chaka is young and, and he probably has access to drone technology mm. being a young, a young man. Two, it would, it would explain so much. About what's happening this season. <laughs> I'm just saying. That they figured out you can get two good goaltenders and win? They're, 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 they're just punching above their weight a little bit. That's all I'm saying. All right. Of course, nobody nobody in the NHL chief. Let's just put no. it out there. This is really hypothetical. We're so sorry to these really two organizations for even smearing their names. You're both wonderful. Exactly. We've, uh, we apologize profusely. Sorry, sorry. No accusations. Sorry for made. me. It's, it's, we are protected by parody rules. <laughs> My, finally, on, on a on a sour note, Dateline uh, Boston, we we uh, we had a loss this week, Emily, the man who bought us the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, Pete Freights. Um, I interviewed Pete Freights for a Sports Illustrator. We named him the Sportsman uh, Sportsman of Inspiration of the Year. I think we called it uh, in 2014. At that point, he could only um, answer questions by tracking. Um, his eyeballs through a computer, but he had ALS and he really, I think is the man responsible for reigniting awareness for the disease that was misunderstood, underfunded. And honestly, it had been largely neglected by the public um, for years. There had been no advancements in more than 140 years, which is just absolutely insane. So he did so much. And the day we find a cure, everyone is going to think of Pete Freights. Yeah, exactly. I have a, a really good friend of mine that was uh, 
was affected by ALS recently, and it's a uh, it's a horrible disease. And uh, it's terrible. And, and for him to have brought it to the forefront again and, and really get people to focus on it was such a, an amazing accomplishment. So uh, rest in peace, Pete, uh, and uh, condolences to his family. And uh, there you go. We end on a down note. We began on a down note. Let's be honest. And by that I mean Maryland losing to Penn State. Very down, mm. very down for your boy. <laughs> Anyways, that is ESPN and Ice for this week. Uh, our thanks to Amanda Kessel for uh, joining us. What's the deal with Amanda's game coming up? Yeah, it's uh, this weekend. The USA Canada rivalry series begins in Hartford, Connecticut. So I hope all of our fun ESPN colleagues who have listened to this long are going to go attend that game. Indeed, and so one of only uh, two in th- America. The last one's in Anaheim. The others are in Canada. Oh, oh. Well, that's kind of in my neck of the woods. Maybe I'll make my way out there. It means it's a flight, I think. Uh, it's a drive. Nah, I've driven to Disneyland. Who am I kidding? <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks to the fo- good po- folks at the uh, Spanish Inn, I believe it was called, at uh, Pebble Beach, um, who were very hospitable to all of the grungy, stinky uh, hockey media that descended upon their beautiful facility. Oh, Greg, that- don't talk about yourself like that. Oh, and then thanks to the people that uh, said, hey, while, while I was there, uh, good to see you as well. Also, uh, Emily, remember we went to Sea Island for the Board of Governors meetings? Well, how could I forget? Uh, yeah, word is the Board of Governors, not a fantasy island, so I don't know if we're ever going to go back there again. What didn't they like about it? They had the nicest uh, Christmas tree I ever saw. They did. I think it was probably the thing where we went to one of only three restaurants in the Sea Island area, and uh, these guys love to... Uh, well, they love to use their expense accounts. So I think Monterey was more of their speed. Um, but anyways, anyways uh, that's ESPN and Ice for this week. Uh, I am Greg Wyshynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Wyshynski. You can listen to my other podcast where I say naughty words, puck soup. Um, and uh, my, my column, The Wish List, drops usually on Thursdays uh, on ESPN.com. Awesome. Well, I'm Emily Kaplan at Emily M. Kaplan. My column's on Mondays. We got you Mondays and Thursdays and the podcast Wednesday. So you got your fix of us. Exactly. That's most of the week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. 